We're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. We're going to slow down a little bit. We've been giving you big handles on these chapters, but this one is so rich. The first few chapters, in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, we see that Jesus is the better person. He's a better priesthood. He's the better sacrifice. And now through the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book of Hebrews is the practical application, our opportunity to serve the Lord. Chapter 11, I call the hall of faith, the great hall of faith. All this great cloud of witnesses to faith that has gone before in the Old Testament. What, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate is that it's not something different. That the whole of the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of everything that's come before. So those that have trusted him, but now because of fear and persecution are thinking, well, maybe we should hold on to the old. Said, so, no, no, the people of God have always pressed forward to follow, to follow God by faith. And so we're going to see this description of faith, faith described in Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word to study this great gift that you've given us, the gift of faith. It's not of ourselves, it's from you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be stirred up and equipped. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, that each one of us might be spirit-filled as we listen. Lord, that you might edify us, equip us for every good work, weapons for the right hand, weapons for the left. Lord, that we might be found faithful in our time, And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith described. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that which is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Great assurance. John MacArthur says, that's what faith is. Faith is living in a hope that is so real it gives absolute assurance. Faith is not a wistful longing that something might come to pass in an uncertain tomorrow. True faith is an absolute certainty, often of things that the world considers unreal and impossible. But see, that's the gift of God. Only believers have that. Paul, when he's introducing the great book on salvation, the book of Romans, Chapter 1, verse 5, he's talking about his responsibility, the blessing that he's been given, apostleship, and he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, 
to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. See, there's different kinds of faith. During Christmas season, there's a lot of talk about believing. Just believe. Just believe. Doesn't matter what. Just believe in Christmas. Just believe. Just faith in faith. And so everybody kind of figures out what that is. It's a subjective faith. You decide what you want to believe in. And even in Christian circles, there is the twisted idea that somehow by our faith, we can make things happen. That is not the faith the Bible talks about. So when we're talking about faith, we're talking about Bible faith. Bible faith is obedience to God's Word. It's just not hoping for something maybe to happen. It's not hope so. It's when we as believers are serious enough about the Lord to know what is God doing, John 5, 19 and 20, and then follow him there. That was the invitation. The invitation is not found in in Scripture. Just ask Jesus in your heart and live your life and he's going to make it better and wonderful. That is not the invitation that Jesus gave to salvation. What was his invitation? If any man would come after me, let him what? Deny himself because we can't make it on our own. We're sinners. We're born sinners. Therefore, we sin. All of our righteousnesses in our flesh are like filthy rags to God. He said, deny yourself, then what? Take up your cross and follow me. That was the invitation. That's why Paul calls it the obedience of faith. See, believers that have come to Jesus Christ have a whole new worldview. And our desire is to please him. See, that's different than the world's faith. When you have faith in Santa Claus and faith in Christmas and it's so, you know, if you, if you just hope bad enough, then you can get what you want. You can change things to be what you want. That's the word of faith stuff. Just believe hard. You can become whatever you want to. No, no. See, God has a plan for our life. He saved you on purpose. He gifted you on purpose to fulfill his purpose. So that one day when you stand before him, every believer has this hope to be pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is writing to encourage people that are facing death and facing persecution. He says, I want you to not have fear about this. I'm going to give you some instruction. For the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But whether you're present with the Lord in heaven or you're absent from him and you're here, all believers have this one compelling force, and that is to be pleasing to God, not to please yourself. God is not some cosmic genie that if you just learn how to rub the bottle a certain way or say a certain mantra, he's got to do what you say. We even have taken that little idea that prayer changes things. No, it doesn't. Prayer is our opportunity to get on God's page to see what God is doing. And by faith, we follow him in in spite of circumstances, in in spite of the trials, because we are convinced We are assured that he is faithful. Faith is the assurance of things hopeful, hoped for. Secondly, in that first verse, it says, it's assurance of the things hoped for. The Bible faith, Bible faith is specific. It's not static or fluctuating. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
The God of the Old Testament did not just change his mind about morals in this modern day. It's the same. It's the same. So the things hoped for, that we as believers hope for, are those things which are down in Scripture. They're laid down. It says in Jude 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Ephesians 4.4 4 says, There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father over all. One. Once for all handed down to the saints. There's only one faith. Now, the reason that we get confused about these things is because where philosophies have taken us. In old times, in, in the New Testament times, we've had church fathers, Thomas Aquinas, different people that decided that we need to make the faith rational. Somehow we can rationalize and get people to talk. And that, that's the danger with apologetics. Apologetics is very good, but at the same time, you need to understand, you can't talk anybody into the kingdom. You can only give them the gospel. The Holy Spirit's the one that's got to move them from darkness to light. Now, we ought to desire as believers, like St. Nicholas did, the original one, not Santa Claus, to share the gospel as clearly and plainly as we can. But not everybody that hears the gospel understands they're going to receive it. That's God's job. But to start the ra rationalization and trying to make those miracles and the supernatural of God seem palatable. So long came theistic evolution and trying to, you know, explain away the miracles because it's rational. But then pretty soon that, that wasn't enough. And that, that led to allegory. When you don't understand something in Scripture, you don't, you don't like the way it, it's just allegorized. Tell a story about it. So you pretty soon say, well... Creation wasn't really six days. That was just God's way of simple-minded people of explaining. Listen, the most intelligent man that ever lived was the first one because he was fresh out of the mold. He named all the animals. God gave him intellect. His name was Adam. But after rationalization came this, this whole idea of relativism. It's the opposite extreme from that of rationalism. Both of these philosophies uh, are escapes from the true God. And the most significant area to be affected by rationalism was theology. Or excuse me, of relativism is theology. You see, a God that may be there, that may be good, that may care, is hardly a God that inspires devotion. A God that man makes and imagines, man can remake and reimagine. The Old Testament described that. The psalmist said, you know, the rich man, he makes an idol that's silver and gold, and he sets it up there and worships. The poor man just finds a piece of wood that won't totter. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears that they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak. But because man has this inward desire, God put it there. It's the way he made him to worship. He'll find something. They worship something. Relativism says just make it up. Just make it up. Relativism can lead nowhere but to meaningless and despair, which many proponents of this philosophy realized and acknowledged, but they insisted that's all there is to the world, to life, to man. 
We therefore have to make the best of it. Since God has ruled out, man had no measure of himself or his world and could not expect to find any. You see, that's the problem. If in your faith you're not hoping for the things that Christ laid down, that said you hope in these, that you see the commands of Christ, those are commands, not just suggestions. Then you're kind of on your own to make it up. And something clicked in my mind as I was considering this passage last week, and, and we hear it on the news almost every day. In America, we're not in a fight against Islam. We're in a fight against radical Islam. And we always we hear it said over and over again that, well, most Muslims don't believe like this. I thought, well, you know what I need to do? I need to read the Koran. So I'm reading the Koran. Guess what? That philosophy of relativism has kind of invaded a lot of different religions, hasn't it? Because I'm reading the Koran, and those radicals are acting out exactly what the Koran says. Kill everybody that doesn't agree with you. Be peaceful till you're in charge, then bring the sword out to their neck. So you can't deny that's what the Koran teaches, but I begin to think, why, why don't they get this? Well, first of all, the Bible says when we deny God, God gives us over to a reprobate mind, and so we have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness in our government, in our public places, our leadership, so God's given up. We can't think straight anymore. Our government, we, that's why when they make decisions, you go, what? But you know what? That's no different than modern, modern, modern Mormonism. Now, the doctrines of Mormon are just ridiculous. That Jesus was a man, but he became God, and you too can become a God. And then the God, the one God, because it's really just many gods, is going to give you your own planet. You're going to have multiple wives. They get to be eternally pregnant, which, I don't know, doesn't sound great to me, but I'm a guy, so what do I know? And you share that with some Mormons. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, what, just a minute. What's your doctrine teaches? Well, I, I just take what I want from that. You know, it's just kind of a family thing. It's what we do. We've always been more, so what we do. The Roman Catholic Church this week deified Mother Teresa. Now, Mother Teresa seemed to be a faithful saint. You know, I don't know her personal relationship with Christ, but wow, she gave her life serving poor people. And she stood for a lot of true things. And if she's in heaven, she would be against what the Catholic Church is doing. What are they doing? Well, they said that two people, by praying to Mother Teresa, got healed. Therefore, she's a saint. Now, saint is deity. Now, we know that's not true according to what? The Word of God. Paul writes to the saints at Corinth. I mean, they were the Californians, right? You get that? They just have a different level they're operating on. They had all this mess, and yet he calls them saints. Why? Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you belong to Christ, you're a saint, brothers and sisters. You are a saint. But they say, hey, you pray to the saints. That's part of their religion. You know what that is? It's called idolatry. You say, well, pastor, why is that a problem? Where is that wrong? Well, it's because the Bible lays it out in I'm trying to find it here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, 
the testimony given at the proper time. God meant what he said. When John, in his vision of heaven, in the book of Revelation, falls down before a saint or an angel, they say, get up on your feet. We only worship God. We don't worship any other people. We don't fall down before idols. That's why we know it's wrong. You say, well, you know, that's just a Baptist thing. No, my friends, that's a Bible thing. It's very clear. You don't pray to me. One time we were in, a, in one of our small groups, and one of our new professors of Christ started praying to me that night. And I just want to thank Paul. I stopped the show. Oh, no, 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 stop. He said, well, wasn't that kind of rude? Yeah, he was being rude. He was trying to get me in all kinds of trouble. We don't take any glory for ourselves. We don't pray to anybody else. You don't pray to a priest. You don't pray through a pastor. You as a saint, we, we've been through there in the book of, of, of Hebrews here that he opened the partition by giving his flesh and shedding his blood on the cross that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. How do you know it's false? By what the Bible says. God meant what he said. It's what the Bible teaches. But you see, some believers have come to that place too. Because what the world says, oh, you're like those Muslims that just believe what your book says. You know what the Quran calls people of the Bible, Christians? Calls them people of the book. I like that. We ought to be people of the book. What the Quran says about the people of the book, for the most part, they've left the book. You know what? That's true. For the most part, Christians in America today have left the book. Well, that, that's too, that's too narrow. That's, no, we, we don't want that. You see, God couldn't see these times coming, and so when he said homosexuality is an abomination, he didn't really mean that. When he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that, that wasn't about homosexuality, that was about rape. Read it. No, 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 my friends, God is very clear. Do we love people that are in sin? Yes. God doesn't look at sin and say, well, that's sin. That will keep you from God, but that sin won't. No, no. All sin separates from God. And we are sinners saved by grace. So no matter what our problem with sin was before we came to Christ, we ought to be open and loving to all those on the outside, welcoming people to come to Christ. But Paul said very clearly, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, He's going down the list. Some of you were thieves and robbers. You were violent. You were homosexuals. He says, you, you used to be that way. But now you're washed. Now you're clean. God changes lives. He didn't say, come to me and I'll leave you the same because I just want you to be who you are. No, no, no. We're lost in our sin. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God knew what he was saying when he wrote the law in the Old Testament. The commands of Christ are still the commands of Christ today. We are people of the book. If we're people of faith, we desire obedience. Warren Wiersbe said about faith, true Bible faith is not blind optimism or a manufactured hope-so feeling. Neither is it an intellectual assent to a doctrine. It is certainly not believing in spite of evidence. That would be superstition. True Bible faith is confident obedient to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Listen again. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. 
The third part of verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Conviction is it's one of those things that the writer of Proverbs will use, say the same thing a different way to get the same point across. But conviction brings even a stronger truth. And that is those things we're assured of, we actually live out in our lives. James writes and he said, you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. That's conviction. We don't know how God's going to work it out. And like the children of Israel that were facing the fiery furnace in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a, the king had a dream, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And the dream was this great vision of the future that he was the head of gold and he thought well that's a good place to be I'm the greatest so instead of submitting to God who showed him this great vision of the times that were coming he said let's let's just worship me so he made a big idol and he said everybody at the sound of the music will bow down to the idol or you'll be cast in the fiery furnace and so his prized horses Shadrach Meshach and Abednego Daniel must have been on a mission or he would have been bowing down either I know that but Daniel's not named in this. The music's played and they stand up. They don't bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar just thinks, well, these are my favorite guys. These, these guys give me wisdom. They interpret dreams. So uh, obviously they just didn't hear. They didn't understand. He brings them up. He says, fellas, you, because I like you, you get another chance. Now this time when the music change, plays, if you don't understand, then now you're going to bow down, right? You're making me look bad. And they said, King, we don't have to think about this. We don't have to be careful about thinking about this. You need to know something. You play the music, we're not going to bow down. Why? Because they had conviction of things that were not seen. What was their conviction? They said, we know that our God is able to deliver us from the flames of fire. Who put that in their heart? God did. They didn't think that up on their own. But if he doesn't, Know this, we will not bow down. And oh man, Nebuchadnezzar got mad. He heated the furnace up seven times, the Bible says. So that the strong men that tried to throw them in were killed by the heat. But the only thing that got burned were the ropes that bound them. And then he looked into the fire and he got afraid because he saw someone else. He saw the king of glory walking with those three faithful servants. You want to walk with God? Just trust him. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but we know when we're, when we're following him. I'm so thankful for the elders in this church. They don't ask anymore. Well, I don't know if we can afford it. We don't say that anymore. So most churches say that today. Well, can we afford it? That is not even a question. Because our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the wealth in every mine. If he needs to, he can sell a few. The question is not can we afford it, the question is, can God afford it? Well, yes, of course he can. Well, we know God can afford it. Okay, then here's the question for our elders. This is the question for our church. Is this God? This is God we've got to follow. God leads through spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. And so when he brings us to a challenge like he did those three fellas that were thrown in the furnace, you know what God was doing? He was going to use him, those three and Daniel to lead Nebuchadnezzar to saving faith. That bloody ruler who didn't care about anybody's life but his own became a believer in the God of heaven because 
three men and Daniel, four young men, lived out their conviction before him. Verse 2. By faith, men of old gained approval. You need to understand something. Bible faith is the only plan for man's redemption. It's always been his plan. Faith. By faith. Abraham was saved by his faith. The Bible says Abraham believed God before there was a law. Before there was Moses, Abraham believed God and God counted it for righteousness. David, under the law, the king, said how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not account his sins. It's by faith. John MacArthur says, the faith principle did not originate with the new covenant. It was also active in the old. In fact, it was active the moment man fell and needed a way back to God. It originated even before the earth began. Since God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. And since the only way God accepts us in Christ is by our faith, then God obviously established salvation by faith at that time. The way back to God, as far as man's part is concerned, is by faith. It's always been by faith and only by faith. So that these people that were on the edge could look and say, hold it. This has always been God's plan. That's what the writers kind of communicate. Christ is not something new. It's some, not too new wrinkle that, that somebody thought up. This was God's plan. And those can look back to the Old Testament and see from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God intended there be a sacrifice that would crush the head of Satan. And his promise in Isaiah that a Messiah is coming. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you gained approval by how? By faith. Things haven't changed. It's today by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which all the sacrifices were pointing to. Verse 3. We need Bible faith for understanding. We need to have faith to believe God's word. So that's what the rationalists came to. They came to some hard parts. They said, well, well, I don't know how he created the world in six days. I don't think that can be done. And so they bring in what? Theistic evolution. Well, God, he did the first spark. Could God do that? If he wanted to, but that's not what he told us. He wasn't lying to us. He spoke the worlds into existence. But how do we do that? We understand that by faith. In Psalm 33, verse 6, I love this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He just spoke them. Ex nihilo, that means something from nothing. He just spoke them into existence. Today, scientists are trying to create life in a test tube. The problem is they cheap. They start with dirt. They didn't invent dirt. They start with something God had. No, no, no. God spoke from nothing all the systems, the complex, beautiful systems that we live and breathe by, God spoke them into existence. Now listen to this. this. This is amazing. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He just went, whew, stars. David Martin, my son was here when he was pastoring here a couple, few years ago. He did a, uh, a little presentation in one of our evening services about Louis Giglio, how great is your God? And Louis Giglio, 
does all the study of these stars, these huge, amazing, monstrous systems and stars that just dwarf our sun and our system. God just went, there you go. How great is your God? Is anything too big for him? No, it's not. But it's only by faith we have that understanding. As we submit to God's will and to his word, we get understanding. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. But fools despise knowledge and instruction. Why? Because they say, no God for us. We're not going to have his restraints on us. We've got these great minds here. Years ago, there was a young fellow, college student. Somebody invited him to come to church. And God obviously had been working as hard. His name was Michael Lewis. And Michael Lewis was kind of a scary-looking individual. I don't think he was really scary. He just kind of liked that persona, I think. And he was an artist. We know all artists are unsaved. Anyway, he came to church. That's not true, is it? He came to church. And he heard the gospel. And one evening he came up and said, Paul, I need to talk to you about salvation. I'd love to talk to you, Michael. So he sat down. He had all these questions. I said, Michael, you know, I, I just, I don't lead people in prayers and I don't force this thing. So let me just pray for you. So what do you mean? I said, I don't think you're ready yet. He said, I'm sorry for answering questions. I need to get saved tonight. I said, well, okay. And he prayed and asked Christ to save him. And he began his walk. As a university student, he began to face the things that he faced. And so one Sunday comes back to me just a little, little bit after. He says, Paul, I'm just really struggling with this whole idea that, you know, God created the earth in six days. Okay. Well, you know, if everybody else is believing that, it seems like we're a pretty small little percentage that believe God just created in six days. I said, yeah. And I began in my mind, I began to start to say, well, here's some books to read, Whitcomb and Riley, you know, Origins and things, and, and begin to, and I just, the Holy Spirit stopped me. I said, Michael, tell you what, I want you to go home and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Just go home and read it. You know why? Because that which is unseen, the truth of the Scripture, I believe the Bible says His Spirit will bear witness with our spirit. And that every believer has the anointing that we've received, 1 John 2, 27, that's the Holy Spirit. That if he had the Holy Spirit, he could teach him. I'd be wasting, I'm not going to argue. Well, J. Vernon McGee said, um, you don't have to defend the scripture. It's like a lion. Just take it off the chain. It will take care of itself. I said, Michael, just, just go read the Bible. Okay, pastor. He comes back a couple days later and he says, hey, Paul, I just need to tell you something. Where does thing happen? I'm studying the scripture and pretty soon I'm thinking, well, I guess it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. This is what God said. Amen and amen. It's what God said. We come to the Scripture, and yes, sometimes it rubs us the wrong way, but we don't try to change the, change the Scripture. We say, Holy Spirit, change me. Change me. But we have understanding of all the wonderful things that God's done because we start with the fear of the Lord, and we take Him at His Word. It's just what believers do because we have a faith that gives understanding to the Word of God. Fourthly, Faith for worship. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, 
God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. What do you want your life to say about you after you're gone? I read obituaries about people who really like to knit, go fishing and camping. We're in the West, oh, they just love to go elk hunting. Well, that's okay. But that's their legacy. Only what's done, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Abel was obedient to the instruction of God. God had given him instruction. How do you know that, Paul? Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So whether it was through his father Adam or whether it was directly God gave instruction about when to bring a sacrifice and what the sacrifice ought to be, sacrifice for sin. And so Abel was a keeper of sheep and he was obedient to God. His brother Cain had already slipped into rationalism. He thought, well, you know, God will take whatever I want to give him. He'll just be happy, like a lot of us. I don't have to give the first tithe, the first tenth. I don't have to give the best. I'll just give what's left over. And God will be happy with that. He's just happy if we give him anything. Oh, no, my friends. God is a jealous God. And he will not be second in anyone's life. And the believer, you want to live that way? You're going to live that way with discipline. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, he scourges every son he receives. Why? Because he wants the very best for you. You were created to worship. You were created to be a giver like God is, giving his very best, his only begotten son for lost sinners. He wants you to be like that. Cain came and he said, I'll I'll just bring the fruit of the ground. And he was even warned by God personally. Listen, when God gives you a personal warning, you should listen. He said, Cain, I see what you're going to do. I want you to know sin is crouching at the door and it will destroy your life. Well, it's not that bad. It's just vegetables. What's the big deal? And he went in and he offered it and God did not accept his offering. And I think Abel went out to encourage his brother. Like some of you want to go encourage some of your brothers that are lost in sin. And you say, hey, I just want you to know Jesus. And they say, you shut up about that stuff. You think you're better than me. It's exactly the attitude of the first man that was born into this earth, Cain. And he killed his brother. He killed him. And his race ended. God, that's who, God's ra- that's who God destroyed in the flood. Cain's race. You say, well... Seems to me that Abel was a loser. Oh, no, no, Abel's Abel's not the loser. He was faithful. And God is not ashamed to call Abel his child because he stood in spite of the difficulty and in spite of the circumstances. But see, we don't come to God and worship any way we want to. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, after Paul has laid out that amazing teaching on the gospel and how a person could be saved. And Paul says in 12, 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, because of God's great mercy in this salvation, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto who? Unto God. This is your spiritual service of worship. You say, well, you know, the Bible says a lot of things about how families ought to run and how church ought to run. You know, I just don't know. That just rubs me the wrong way. Of course it does. We still have the flesh. You want to worship God in spirit and in what? Truth. 
because that's the worship God accepts. That's why we pray every week. God, convict us of sin left unconfessed. God, we want to come with holy hands to lift up. We want to come with clean hands. You create us for worship. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to be a blessing unto your name with our whole lives. So we come the way you called us. Verse 5, faith for life. Enoch walked with God, the Bible says in the Old Testament, and he was not, for God took him. He just walked with God his whole life. Listen, faith, Bible faith, is not an event. You'd think so by all the events that go on in the name of Jesus, you know, rock concerts, women's uh, conferences, men's conference. And and I think in America we're so spoiled, we just kind of live for the event, then we go home and do what we want. Bible says in, that, w- that we're not to be forgetful hearers of the word in James. The man goes to the mirror and he sees some dirt and he goes away. So I looked in the mirror. Well, there's some dirt there. Yeah, I saw it. Well, then wash it off. You come to the word of God, let the word of God change you. The Bible says that's how we're changed, 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3, the last verse. We're changed, we look into the Word of God, into the face of Christ, and we're changed into His likeness. God didn't save you to be the best you you can be. He saved you to be like Jesus, conformed to His image. But it's a walk. It's bringing Christ into every decision of life. So, well, that's... Uh, Listen, pastor, I'm going to church, so I think that's about it. You know, come on, I don't have time for that stuff. Then you don't have time for God? You see, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Now, as a Christian, you can live with stress, you can live with anxiety. The Bible says you don't have to be anxious for nothing, but everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What does that mean? You pray about everything. Not just the stuff you can't handle. You pray about everything. You don't run by your experience. You don't run by somebody else's experience. You have the opportunity for personal relationship with God. So you pray about everything. Colossians 15 and 6, 3, 15 and 16. It says, let the peace of God rule and reign in your heart. What does that mean? That's the way God leads you. You know his word, and something comes up, and you can just say if you don't know the answer. I don't know. For some reason, I don't have peace about it. I tell our elders. We come to make a decision, and you don't have peace about it. You better speak up. God may try to give us protection by what he's doing in your life. That's enough. You let God rule through his peace because that's your shepherd. He leads you. In the paths of righteousness, he causes you to lie down in green pastures. He leads you by the still waters. He leads you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. But that's the precious thing. He leads you. It's a walk day by day. Then verse 16 of Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that mean? You take the word of God in like David did in Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man make his way straight? By taking heed according to thy word, thy word have I what? Hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Listen, if Christians do this one simple thing, you would need counseling. You'd have the Holy Spirit. 
When you have a sin problem in your life or you have a weakness in your life, go find out what God's Word says about that and then memorize it. Why? Because that's God's counsel. How can a man make his way straight? How can a young man please the Lord? By listening to the Word. How do you listen to the Word? Get it in your heart. Memorize it. You say, well, I can't memorize. That's not true. That is not true. The same people that say they can't memorize have all kinds of other things memorized. You know, baseball, football, you know, stats. They memorize all these insignificant temporal things. If it's important enough to you, you will memorize God's Word. And the Bible said it will change your life. Your countenance will begin to look like Jesus. You'll begin to act like Jesus because you know His Word. Verse 6, know this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you don't have Bible faith, there is no hope for you. You understand that? No hope. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, he's the only way, the truth, the only truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's very narrow. That's Bible faith. It's only in Christ. And without him, there is no hope. There's no other way for peace and eternity, for purpose in this life, for security in this life. It's only in Christ. It's not in church, not any church. You say, well, I, I think I can work this out. Well, the Bible says the wages, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. So you think you can earn it, okay, but when you get paid your wages, it will be death. Here's the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life, not in good works, not in church, in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a personal thing. God needs to have that personal conversation with you. Just because you grew up in church, you grew up in a Christian home, you don't get to osmosis into the kingdom. John 1, 12 says, As many as received him to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born again, not because of blood, not your family, nor because of the will of man. You can't just decide to get straight, you know, straighten up and then you can one day earn salvation. Or thirdly, neither by the will of man. Nobody else can put you into the kingdom. It's a personal conversation you have with God. Jeremiah 1, 17 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, come now have a conversation with me. Though your sins be as scar, I'll wash them whiter than wool. Though they be red as crimson, I'll wash them whiter than snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove your sin from. I'll bury it in the deepest sea, God said. Here's the great one. God said, I'll remember it no more. But you've got to have that conversation with him. Lord, I, I trust you with my life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But here's the awesome part. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's why we read Psalm 16 this morning. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. What's he talking about? The personal relationship the psalmist had with God. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will dwell securely. You'll not abandon my soul to Sheol, 
nor you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures for evermore. John Piper wrote a book, Desiring God. But this theme is in many of his writings. And this is the statement that John Piper made. I love this. We worship God best when we enjoy him most. Yes, he's the king. But what a king. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. Who gave his life for me and for you and washed us with his own blood from our sins. To him be glory forever and ever and ever. Faith is a gift of God. The gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. The question is, have you received it? Have you had that talk with God? The Bible says he's not holding it back from anyone. He said, come unto me all you that are weak and heavy laden. That's all you have to know. I'm weak and heavy laden. I'm a sinner. That's all you have to know. And Jesus will give you rest. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of faith, the trust, our only hope, Jesus Christ. But what a rewarder you are. And Lord, you've promised rewards to those that are faithful, crowns of righteousness. That you've written our name on your hand, a name that only you know. Those that are faithful, you give a stone with our new name written on it. And then life with you forever and ever and ever. Oh God, you are so good to us. Lord, but just like the folks that were reading this letter, Lord, we need courage. And we need strength. We need the Holy Spirit. We need grace so that we'll be found faithful. And Lord, I pray for those who are here that do not know you today. They're getting through life on religion and their past experience. Lord, you know the heart. We don't. But Lord, they're, they're sheep that are stressed and they have no shepherd and, and you're so far away. Oh Lord, draw near them today. Draw them to yourself. Give them the faith to just trust you with their life. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.